You're listening to DraftKings Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to another episode of Darth Means Rule of Two. I'm Darth Amin. I'm joined as always by my apprentice, Darth Corn Puzzle, aka Anthony Mays. Yeehaw! We are reviewing the Bad Batch. Today's episode is episode five, Entombed, aka Indiana Jones and the Bad Batch. Indiana Jones and the Temple of National Treasure, bound <laughs> by the Da Vinci Code. Book of Secrets. Mecha Godzilla. Yeah, Pacific Rim. <laughs> I won't lie, man. This is the second straight week where I'm like, all right, I guess. I am curious to see if you will be able to provide me with any sort of Easter eggs or insight that we gleaned from this episode. I can tell you right now, it's real light on Easter eggs, mainly because Wanda Sykes' character, Fee Genoa, is a pirate. And I don't know about you, Maze, but she reminds me very much of Hondo Onaka, the space pirate made famous in Clone Wars and Rebels. And if you go to Galaxy's Edge at Disney World or Disneyland and you ride on the Millennium Falcon ride, the animatronic robot that greets you there is Hondo Onaka. And like Hondo, world-class liars. They just make shit up all the time. So literally everything Fee mentions in this episode from Octomorphs to the Caldertrinary system, Blade of Zakata Par, Skaranal, Belmont Diadem, the Chalice of the Kingdom of Elways on Vadne. Mm, the Chalice. All of this, yeah, the Chalice, shout out to Da Vinci Code. All of these things have zero canonical or even non canonical legends reference in Star Wars. Now, that doesn't mean they don't exist because obviously this episode is focused on artifacts that predate the Galactic Republic, predate maybe even the Jedi. It might be just stuff that has not been defined, even though there is a lot of Star Wars literature about the Old Republic, as they call it. If you remember that video game, Knights of the Old Republic? It is set probably 20,000 years before the events of The Phantom Menace. Or, again, she might just be full of shit, because there is that scene in the beginning where she's talking to the two barflies telling that story about fighting an octomorph and tech remarks like the story gets more ridiculous every time she tells it but without further ado i guess let's get into it wrecker and omega are in a junkyard they're looking for a compressor she finds some little knickknacks or whatever at sid's bar wanda sykes is telling the story of fighting the octomorph 
Omega drops all the stuff that they, they found. And Wanda looks at one of the things and says, it's a compass with coordinates on it, and it's old. So they're going to go on a treasure hunt. Hunter doesn't want to do it, but they convince him. He begrudgingly goes along. While they're on the ship, Wanda's telling Omega more old war stories. Uh, this time about, as I said, the Blade of Zakata Par. Again, this is a very annoying episode. He's like, <laughs> I've never heard of that. And go and try and Google it. It does not even show up. But it was funny to watch Omega mimic the way Wanda was sitting. Mm-hmm. Arms behind her head, legs kicked up. And this is now the second episode in a row where we see Omega really gravitate towards a female maternal figure, try to emulate them and copy them, which makes sense. She hangs around dudes all day long. Mm -hmm. This is probably a a breath of fresh air, and it doesn't hurt that Fee, Wanda's character, much like Honda Onaka, is an amazing storyteller, even if the stories are mostly bullshit. We get to this planet. There's no sign of life on the surface, but the compass activates, and it starts beeping until they end up at the base of a mountain. Mountain Face has an opening. Wrecker pulls out a boulder, revealing a secret entrance. Meanwhile, some creature is lurking like Cuck O'Leary, watching them do this. Yep, as they go into the Mines of Moria, Kaiser Doom, yep. Melon. Little Lord of the Rings action there. Tag expositions us that these etchings are a thousand years old. Fee says, oh, we're going after something really old. And Tex says, you mean like the Jedi? She says, no, even older. She tells us about Skaranal and the legend of Skaranal, and it's got this heart of the mountain, and it's supposed to be really valuable. And we get some super-duper Indiana Jones music. I mean, like, Mm -hmm. this is heavy, heavy ripping-off stuff. Well, you know, I guess paying homage to the old John Williams scores for the Indiana Jones movie. Bringing it to a new generation of fans. I mean, sure. So there's a pattern to unlock. If you look through the compass, you can see a special light that tells you how to do it. A large ball of rock seals the entrance. That's familiar. Tech does some more exposition, tells us the minerals in the stone slabs predate the Republic. Wanda Sykes is heavy with the banter in this episode. Yeah, doing it all by herself, man. She wore my ass out, man. Brown eyes, bandana, like everyone's got a nickname. Remind me of George W. Bush. Everyone's everyone's got a nickname here. While they are unlocking all this shit, the creature that was lurking, the Cuck O'Leary creature, attacks them. They fight it off. There's a little avalanche, and it separates the groups. Echo, Wrecker, and Tech on one side. Hunter, Fee, and Omega on the other side. They walk down the hallway, and Hunter's like, man, let's get this over with, and then tries to spell the name Jehovah with the letter J and falls mm-hmm. through a crack into a pit and they have to save him because of course nothing is as it seems. It's all booby trapped. Omega has to put the compass into a wall and then turn the thing and then it flips the whole hallway, which is pretty cool, I guess. Then she loses her compass. Loses the compass because Scaranal has reclaimed the compass. So then they walk through that, and then somehow, I still don't know how this happened, Maze. As they're trying to figure out this next doorway, Wrecker, Echo, and Tech show up. This is exactly like National Treasure Book of Secrets, where John Voight and Helen Mirren get separated and they go their own way. I love the idea of a secret path to a hidden tomb, but there's two ways to get there. No matter which direction you take, you'll end up at the same place. Yeah, except one isn't booby-trapped. Right. They just walk straight there. So they get inside. They find 
the heart of the mountain. It looks like a big-ass kyber crystal, if you ask me. Mm-hmm. They pull it out, and it activates, and the mountain isn't a mountain. It's like a huge walker with a Death Star-type super laser that is just destroying, wrecking the ever-loving shit out of the planet. Yeah, it's a giant brontosaurus with a laser beam head. Tech gives us this Captain Obvious line. I suspect that this is not, in fact, a treasure vault. So while they're trying to figure out what to do, the creature comes back, attacks them. They light this thing up with blasters and Omega's bow and arrow thing. And it's impervious. This thing, like the Zillow Beast from the Clone Wars, is impervious to blaster bolts and, I'm presuming, laser swords, a.k.a. lightsabers. Mm -hmm. They tell Wanda, you got to stick that thing back in the slot because clearly this thing is going to destroy our ship. Wanda doesn't want to do it. You got a little bit of like the Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade with the Grail and stuff, but eventually she decides to do it. She does it. The thing shuts down. The creature gets thrown out a window. Yeah, Wrecker just picks it up and chucks it. It's impervious to all this blaster fire, but not to the old tail grab trick. Meanwhile, her droid Mel that keeps a record of all of her adventures is destroyed by this Brontosaurus laser thing. They've figure out that hey this is the second time we went out to go get treasure and we lost but you know the treasure of course is in the experience maze Mm, yeah the treasure is in the lies of a story that you can tell your friends friends a lot has changed over the years personally and across our airwaves but one thing that hasn't the great taste of miller light so what is the best thing about the original light beer miller light sparked this debate in 1975 and we still haven't settled it You know, for me personally, I recently bought a few six-packs of Miller Lite for my housewarming party because that's one thing that's changed for me. I moved into a new house, and I brought some friends over, and we enjoyed the best light beer because Miller Lite keeps it simple. Undebatable quality, great taste, only 96 calories. It's the beer that strips away everything you don't need and holds on to what matters most. A light beer that tastes like beer. Less filling and only 96 calories. The original light beer since 1975. You don't have to choose what's best. Miller Lite has great taste and is less filling. Tastes like Miller time. To get Miller Lite delivered right to your door, visit MillerLite.com slash crate. Or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories per 12 ounces. Fewer cows and carbs than premium regular beer. Oh my gosh. Folks, gather around. Everyone gather around. Listen to these words. The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And if you're new to DraftKings, you gotta check this out. New customers, listen to me. You bet just five bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use code DAN. That's code DAN for new customers. And you get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. That's insane. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino Resort in Kansas, 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. By the way, someone else pointed out that Indiana Jones never gets a treasure. I've never thought about that. 
Right, like how his arch nemesis, Belloc, gets the golden idol at the beginning of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Every single time, everything. The Ark of the Covenant, the cross from the beginning of Last Crusade, the stones from Temple of Doom. He always ends up losing it or giving it away or whatever. He never actually gets to keep any other than the stuff that he gives Marcus at the beginning of Raiders of the Lost Ark. And he tells him, come on, these are worth something. He's like, oh, Indiana. The museum will pay for all of this, I'm sure, you know, which I guess he still doesn't keep it. Mm -hmm. He's kind of a shitbag in that way when you think about it. If we're going to have an episode that is a non sequitur episode, I'm big on there has to be stuff that's going to play in somehow, somewhere at some point. I get it. Most of these in general are self-contained story arcs, right? Mm -hmm. Last week, I kind of saw how it could. This week, I'm at a loss, man. I don't know. Did you see anything? You say, oh, this might come back. It's the first adventure with Fee, so she'll come back. But I was just wondering what the hell this Mechagodzilla thing is. I had all kinds of questions about that. We got no exposition on that. They boot it up, and then it immediately shuts down and crashes, and they leave it, and it's on to the next one. So apparently the ancient Sith that predate the Rule of Two. The podcast? Yeah. There's a lot going on before that. <laughs> that too. The ancient Sith were big into super weapons, mm -hmm. the weapons of mass destruction, the WMDs. In essence, like the Death Star really wasn't that original of an idea. It was just the latest in a long line of Sith super weapons. If you remember season two of Star Wars Rebels, the last couple episodes happened on this planet called Malachor at a Sith temple where Ezra Bridger and Darth Vader and Ahsoka and Maul and the Inquisitors, it is a battle royale. There are a lot of shifting alliances, but the purpose of the temple is a battle station. It's a super weapon. That when you put the holocron in it, it would activate and shoot a laser out, basically. Mm -hmm. The last time it was activated, it killed everybody. It was a scene of a huge battle between the Jedi and the Sith, and it vaporized everybody. To the point where, if you remember, they had all these mummified remains. Pompeii. Yep, it was like Pompeii. So, this is kind of a Sith thing. Maybe this thing is that. Or maybe it's something that's even older than that. Because, again, the Jedi themselves, I think, are 25,000 years before the Battle of Yavin. Wow, 25,000 years, and they got rocked. Order 66 is a bitch, ain't it? Mm -hmm. <laughs> when I think about it, I'm like, damn, they got your ass, man. Maybe it's older than all of that. Because the Sith themselves were, of course, offshoots of the Jedi. They were the Jedi who wanted to use the dark side of the Force. And when they were discovered, they were banished. And so they started their own, we'll start our own shit. We'll call it Sith. So that's kind of the origin story of that. It could be them. It could be older than them. Who knows? It's tough, man. It's tough when there's no exposition and they're not Easter egging or, or referencing something. This is all just brand new stuff. But Maze, it does kind of reinvigorate for me the desire to, at some point, visit these books that have been coming out the last few years about the High Republic, mm -hmm. the early days of the Jedi Order and Knights of the Old Republic or whatever. So I don't know, man. Like, are you find this interesting? Do you like the pre-prequel era of Star Wars? As we've talked about, I'm intrigued to watch The Acolyte and see what happens there. But in terms of reading a book about it or something like that, probably not. Would you be interested in the content, though? 
I mean, the acolyte beyond it being like an era that I just was not familiar with. It's a very cool story. Just like, oh, this is how the Sith regrouped, basically. That's what this is about. But would you be interested in a story that wasn't something as seminal as that? Or it was just like, yeah, this is what it used to be like. Thousands of Jedi just running around and thousands of Sith running around and infighting and all that. Is that something that appeals to you? It's always a little tricky when you get into the prehistory of a made-up world. <laughs> I mean, we're seeing it with House of the Dragon and... Rings of Power is doing another strange version of that. And I think in both cases, they're trying to give you recognizable things because it's hard to just come in untethered. So I think you would need some kind of event to attract interest. It's one of those things where I want to because I, I just like going deeper in the lore. And especially given that the ground we're on has been treaded on so many times. Mm-hmm. There's only so many times you can do Age of Empire stuff. There's only so many times you can do prequel stuff. And every time you do one of those stories, not only are you trying to tell a compelling story, but also, Maze, you're trying to be respectful, hopefully, to the existing stuff. It was one of those things where, you know, when I started watching Rebels and enjoyed it very much, it hit me seven or eight episodes into season one of Rebels. Oh, shit, these guys can't survive. Like, by default, they can't survive because they're Jedi. Mm -hmm. And as far as A New Hope goes, the Jedi are extinct. You, my friend of the last of that ancient religion, not knowing, of course, Obi-Wan was out there chilling in the cut and at some point training Luke, who does not become a Jedi technically until Return of the Jedi. <laughs> That's the title. Really, the Empire Strikes Back, there are no Jedi anywhere. Obi-Wan's dead. Luke's not there yet. I mean, Yoda... Oh, it's a Yoda. I forgot. He's a Okay. I mean, let me ask you, if you're starting fresh, would you rather start a thousand years in the past or a thousand years in the future? In the past. In the past. I think in the future is just, it's, I don't know, man. The sequel trilogy really kind of dampened my desire to see the story continue in any way. <laughs> there you go. There you have it. It's weird. I don't know, man. If it's a thousand years in the future, technically none of the stuff that happened in the stuff that we watched should matter, right? Sure. But I think there's always going to be like some sort of desire to have. And it turns out it's, you know, she's Philip the pizza delivery boy <laughs> from the beginning of the movie. No. Come on. Right? No. I'm just saying. Think about Ray. One of the things I loved about Last Jedi is like, who's Ray? She's nobody. She's nobody. She's just a person. Because the Force is not hereditary. Why you get forces into people? Who was Obi-Wan's dad? Who's Ahsoka's mom? Who's Yoda's parents, if you had any? Or Qui-Gon? Or Dooku? They were just people, and the Force was strong in them. And so it was a shocker, but also like, yeah, why should it have to be? She's Luke Skywalker's granddaughter. And then it turns out they come back and ride the Skywalker. Like, oops, sorry, she's Palpatine's granddaughter. Palpatine had kids? ridiculous so there's just too much of a temptation there even a thousand years in the future like uh-uh guess who guess who and the great 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 like i don't need that before we wrap up here maze i do want to talk about this big rumor this hot rumor the last couple of weeks that there's a ubisoft star wars video game that's going to be open world that's dropping open galaxy 
Ubisoft is the publishing giant behind Assassin's Creed. It's targeting a 2023 release, but I don't think it's going to happen. But the idea is that this is a video game where you can go anywhere, everywhere. Kind of like, what's the name of the goddamn video game? I mean, you name it. Skyrim, Fallout. This tweet says, No Man's Sky. A boundless galaxy. You just go wherever you want and there's action everywhere. This, of course, in addition to Jedi Survivor, which is the sequel to Fallen Order. I'm very excited about that. And perhaps Hunters? We'll see about that one. Meanwhile, Star Wars Eclipse. Remember that one where they dropped the uh, trailer and it was super cool a year ago? Very highly stylized trailer for this game called Star Wars Eclipse. Set in the High Republic and it looks super badass. And then it turns out the trailer features zero footage, gameplay, cutscene, or otherwise from the game. Rather, it was something that was created, get this, to act as a recruiting tool for animators and coders because they haven't made the game and they and they need people to help them make the game that ladies and gentlemen is some scumbag ass shit that's bizarre <laughs> other than that we know that jedi survivor is going to be out in 2023 but i believe march or april 2023 best believe when it comes out i will be purchasing and i will be playing and i will be reviewing you have a review review it very excited for this game. I'm going through Fallen Order one more time, refresh my memory of all this, and then hopefully I'll be done by the time we get to Jedi Survivor. And that's going to do it for Rule of Two. You survived this episode, Maze. Wow. Live to see another day. Quite the run you're having as an apprentice. Doesn't bode well for you. No, it doesn't. <laughs> that means it's my ass on the line. We'll talk to you guys next time. And remember, sometimes a door... It's just the door. Friends, a lot has changed over the years, personally and across our airwaves. But one thing that hasn't, the great taste of Miller Lite. So what is the best thing about the original light beer? Miller Lite sparked this debate in 1975, and we still haven't settled it. You know, for me personally, I recently bought a few six-packs of Miller Lite for my housewarming party. Because that's one thing that's changed for me. I moved into a new house, and I brought some friends over, and we enjoyed the best light beer. Because Miller Lite keeps it simple. Undebatable quality. Great taste, only 96 calories. It's the beer that strips away everything you don't need and holds on to what matters most. A light beer that tastes like beer. Less filling and only 96 calories. The original light beer since 1975. You don't have to choose what's best. Miller Lite has great taste and is less filling. Tastes like Miller time. To get Miller Lite delivered right to your door, visit MillerLite.com crate. Or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories per 12 ounces. Fewer cows and carbs than premium regular beer.